Well, I'm excited to be here tonight. It's good to see Brother Michael all decked out in his dress blues. Amen. So if any of you have any ideas, uh, before you do them, look at this man, okay? He's ready for you. Amen. God is good. I'm excited about the word of the Lord tonight. Will you pray for me as I seek to deliver it? And while I'm preaching, would you pray for me? Thank you. All right. Verse 11. John chapter 20 and verse 11. We're thankful tonight to hear that it's going to cool down tomorrow and it's supposed to rain. We thank God for that. I do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are you there? Hey. Amen. The Gospel according to St. John. Verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Amen. Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. The same day at evening, being the first of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas was, or Thomas one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The title of the message tonight, The Characters of His Resurrection. The Characters of His Resurrection. Will you pray with me? Lord, I come before you tonight. Ask you, Lord, that your blessing would be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you, God, for your inspiration and your anointing. We thank you for your presence, God, in the midst of your disciples, in the midst of your believers tonight, in the midst of the characters of your resurrection. We thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us and through us tonight. We cast down every vain imagination and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to declare your word. I ask God for your inspiration and your anointing to you quicken to me your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. When I say the characters of his resurrection, I'm talking about the believers, uh, his followers, who witnessed his resurrection. The characters of his resurrection. Verse 11, we see Mary, Mary Magdalene. The Bible tells us in verse 1, it is Mary Magdalene. That is not her last name. Mary is from a place called Magdala, which is over by the Sea of Galilee. So she was known as Mary Magdalene. Okay? It's sort of like, how many of y'all are Texans? Why are you Texans? Uh, why? Because you live in Texas. Well, you, you don't have to be born in Texas to be a Texan. I mean, you, you live in Texas, then you're a Texan, right? How many Texans we got in here? Praise the Lord. Because you live in Texas, you are known as a Texan, right? Now, probably not very many people call you, uh, you know, your first name and then add Texan to it, do they? They don't say Patrick Texan, do they? Patrick Texas? No. That's not his last name, right? But they they might call Brother Patrick Tex. That's not his name, but that's sort of like a nickname because he's, you know, lives in Texas. He's from Texas, so they might, uh, might say, you're, you're, you would just call you Tex then, right? Well, that's sort of what happened with Mary. Mary became Mary Magdalene, not because that was her last name, but because that was where she was from and to distinguish her from many other Marys that were in the Gospels. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, so it is Mary Magdalene, the Bible says, of whom seven spirits, demons, were cast out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
we see her great love for the Lord that early uh, in the morning, this would be early Sunday morning, resurrection has already taken place. I believe it's taking place at the end of the Sabbath day, right at the beginning of the first day of the week. In that moment, right in that moment, that exact moment that is transitioning from the Sabbath day into the first day of the week, that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And only God knows when that time is, okay? So Jesus has already risen from the dead, and Mary and other women, according to the other Gospels, are with Mary when she goes. But John is pointing out here just Mary Magdalene at the beginning, okay? Say amen. So Mary, along with other women, according to the other Gospels, have come to the sepulcher. Um, their love is intact for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I need to point out to you tonight that when she gets there, she has no expectation of a resurrection. Even though Jesus said that he was going to die, and every time he said he was going to die, every time he mentioned his death, he always mentioned his resurrection. He never talked about his death without talking about rising. So he had told them he was going to die, be crucified. Then he talked about he'd rise again from the dead. But nobody believed it. His disciples didn't believe it. Uh, the women didn't believe it. So when the women are going to the sepulcher, they're not going there because they believe a resurrection has taken place. They are going there simply out of love and devotion for Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Mary first gets there, uh, that Mary doesn't even look in the sepulcher. If you look at chapter 20, you'll, at the beginning of chapter 3, you'll see this to be true. She doesn't even look in the sepulcher. All she sees is a stone that has been rolled away from the front of the tomb. And so in her mind, she comes to the conclusion that somebody has taken the body of Jesus away. That they have taken the Lord away. That his body has been robbed or stolen from the tomb. She did not investigate her finding. And she told Peter and John that somebody had come and taken the Lord's body and that she did not know where he was. Her first message was error. She delivered an error because she thought somebody had stolen the body and taken the body, but that was not true. Nobody had taken the body of Jesus from the sepulcher. So her, her first report was a, a report that was wrong. It was a report that was in error, and it was a report that was full of doubt. All she saw was that stone rolled away, and she came to the conclusion that somebody must have taken the body of the Lord away. She didn't go in and investigate what she thought had happened. She didn't look into the sepulcher. She just came to the conclusion that somebody had stolen the body and that is the message that she delivered at the beginning. She thought somebody had taken the body of the Lord away. And she says, I know not where they have taken him. And she doesn't say who the they is she's thinking. She doesn't say the they is the Jews. She doesn't say the they is the Romans. She doesn't say who the they is. She says, I just don't know where they have taken. I don't know. I don't know. So Mary, at the first, is delivering a message that is creating more doubt than faith. 
Mary is <clears throat> delivering a message that is untrue at the beginning. Say amen. Are y'all with me tonight? She is a, uh, uh, like so many preachers behind pulpits. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Many preachers stand behind the pulpit and they declare things that are not in the Bible because they haven't investigated what the Bible says. So what they do is, is they bring error when they preach because they don't investigate what they're preaching. Now, I'm not saying I'm without fault, that I've always been perfect in everything I've ever said. I'm just telling you that you have to investigate what you're going to say. If you don't, you will end up like Mary delivering a message that is an error. Okay? And if you do it that way, then you will deliver the message of the Word of God only naturally. So that what she saw when she saw the stone rolled away, she saw a natural occurrence. In her mind, that meant that somebody stole the body. So she told that, that somebody took the body, and she says, I don't know where they have laid him. That was her report. It's a complete natural report. There's no supernatural power in it. Had she had walked into the sepulcher and investigated what she was saying, she would have found supernatural things. You with me? She would have found grave clothes and she would have found angels. If she had hung around a little bit longer instead of just looking at something naturally and running off after seeing something natural and coming to a conclusion that somebody stole this body and said, I don't know where they've taken it. If she had hung around a little bit longer and investigated what she thought she would have seen something beyond the natural. She would have witnessed supernatural things. Are y'all here tonight? You have to be willing to hang around long enough to experience the supernatural things of God. If you're not careful, you will only be governed by natural things and by what you see, and you'll begin to come to conclusions in your own mind, and most of the time they will be error. They will be completely wrong. You have to be willing to go into it, investigate it, look into the sepulcher and see if the body was stolen. If she had done that, she would have found out the grave clothes were there and she would have found the angels there and it would have been supernatural. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Most people are too quick. They come to church one time, that's it. They don't hang around long enough to experience the supernatural power and move of God. And they run out the church door and all they have is a natural explanation for what was in that church. And they convey and deliver error when they talk and they create more doubt than they do faith. And that's exactly what happened to Mary. But as I said, it, it's also in the pulpit. In the pulpit today, in the pulpits of America especially, there is more sound and saliva than there is supernatural. Are y'all here with me? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just being truthful with you tonight. There's a lot of people who stand behind the pulpit and all you're going to have is sound and you're going to have a little spit, a little saliva, but you're not going to have the supernatural. Mary delivered a message that was completely wrong. 
It was full of error when she said somebody had taken his body. Nobody took his body. He rose from the dead. And when she said, we don't know where we, evidently the other women that were with her, we don't know where they have laid him. So her message was more full of what she didn't know than what she did know. Are y'all with me today? If you're going to declare the word of God, people don't need to know what you don't know. They need to know what you know. And there's more that we know by the word of God than what we don't know. Are y'all here tonight? So we need to preach what we know and not create doubt in people's lives. But we need to create by what we know, the word of God, faith in people's lives. Give God worship. And bring them to a place where they, where they will hang around long enough to experience the supernatural power of God. If she had done that, she would not have delivered a partial message. If she had stayed long enough, she would not have delivered a lie. If she had stayed long enough, she would not have said, we don't know. She would have said, we know what's happened here. But the good news is this, is that before this story ends, Jesus will appear to her and straighten her theology out. Are y'all with me tonight? And so verse 11, But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, now she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Are y'all with me now? Now she's taken the time. Now remember, John and Peter, They've already run to the sepulcher. They've seen the grave clothes, right? They found out that she was right. The body was gone, but she was wrong in saying somebody had taken the body. In her mind, somebody has still taken the body. In her mind, somebody has still stolen the body when she's standing on the outside of the sepulcher here. Now, now, after having told the disciples that somebody has taken the body, and now after having said, we know not where they have laid him, now she takes the time to look inside of the sepulcher and to investigate further what she thought really what she thought had happened. And the Bible tells us when she looked into the sepulcher, she saw two angels. So now, because she's taken the time to look at it deeper, now she's going to experience supernatural things. Now, if I were to have if I had time. Look at, I will, look at verse 5. It says, when they ran both together, the other disciple, that being John, did outrun Peter and came first to Sepulchre. He stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Say, so looked in. He just looked in and glanced, but he didn't go in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went to the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie. Say so he went in, Peter went in, and he looked at the linen clothes, and they were lying there. Say praise the Lord. Now look at verse 11. Mary is now looking into the sepulcher. Amen. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. This word means she took a long time looking at it. But this, this look is not a quick look. This look is a look with faith and understanding. So that when she looks in there, into the sepulcher, she doesn't just see it, but she understands what it means. There's just so much in this. Let me just tell you. 
So you can come and you can get just a little glimpse or a little look and walk away and not understand. Or you can take the time to investigate it deeper. And what you see, not just see it real quick, but see it with perception and to see it with understanding. So that when Mary looked at it, she looked at it not quickly, but she looked at it with perception. She looked at it with faith. She looked at it and she understood by faith what it meant. But I think she still was caught up in the trap that somebody had stolen the Lord. Are y'all with me now? What did she see when she looks in there, in that sepulcher? The Bible says she sees two angels. One is at the head and one is at the foot. She sees the supernatural now. She sees the invisible world manifested in the visible world. Now I know it's going to take a lot of, it'll take me a little time to get through your, your mind because when I preach, you're working with your mind. I don't want to just talk to your mind. I want to get to your heart. I don't want you just to see it with a quick look. I want you to see it with understanding. When she looks in, she sees not just the natural which she saw before and came to a conclusion that somebody stole his body and she said, I don't know where they have taken him. Now when she takes enough time to investigate it deeper, she now enters into supernatural things and she sees the invisible world made visible. She sees angels there and they are light. Why are they in light? Because they have come from a place where there is absolutely no darkness. There is no darkness in heaven at all. There's no shadows in heaven. It's perfect light. So they are coming from a, a place where there is no darkness at all. It's only light. And so these uh, messengers of light are, are coming into this world of darkness and they are sitting in the sepulcher and they are testifying that where they have come from is a place of total, absolute light. Where you and I are going, heaven, has no darkness in it at all. There is no shadow in heaven at all. It is perfect. It's an atmosphere of perfect light. And when she looked in there, she saw one angel at the head where his head would have been. And she saw one angel where his feet would have been, which lets us know she saw the Ark of the Covenant. That lets you know that what she saw was his tomb became his throne. She saw the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims facing each other, looking down on the mercy seat there, which was the throne of God. Are y'all hearing me today? Now what you need to understand is the Ark of the Covenant speaks of the rest of God. It speaks of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the seventh piece of furniture in the tabernacle. The number seven speaks of rest or completion. So when Mary got there and she saw in that sepulcher, she saw those two angels, she was seeing the throne of God. And the throne of God was saying to her, it is finished. Now rest, Mary, 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Say praise the Lord. This was an awesome sight for her to see. How many of y'all thank God for the truth today? And all of this is taking place in a garden. Now, I know I'm going here and there. Just get what you can and let the Holy Ghost apply it to your life. But where all this took place was in a garden. The Bible says in Luke 19 and verse uh, 41 says... Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. So Jesus was crucified in a garden. Jesus was buried in a garden. Are y'all with me today? And if you go back to the book of Genesis, you will see parallels here. Are y'all here? The first Adam sinned in a garden. The first Adam died in a garden. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, comes into the world. He dies in a garden. Say amen. amen. Just like the first Adam died in a garden. The last Adam died in a garden. The first Adam turned a garden into a graveyard. The last Adam turned a graveyard into a garden. In the book of Genesis, we have a thief in the garden named Adam who stole what did not belong to him. And in the garden where Jesus was crucified, we have another thief coming back into the kingdom by way of repentance. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning means first fruits. So in God's first fruits was located the heavens and the earth. In the beginning are the first fruits of God. God created the heavens and the earth. Are you hearing me now? So in the beginning, you had the first fruits of heaven and earth. They were connected in the beginning. Say, in the beginning. They were connected. And God, in His first fruits, heaven and earth, He planted an Eden, uh, a garden east of Eden. Amen. Say, a garden east of Eden. So that we have the first fruits of God where heaven and earth are connected together. And there we have man in that garden, the first Adam where we have heaven and earth connected. There's a garden inside of him, and he's inside of a garden. And Adam at the beginning, I know I'm going fast, but just get what you can. Adam at the beginning, listen to me, before the fall, operated in two realms at the same time. Heaven and earth. Because heaven and earth were in the first fruits of God. So that Adam operated in the realm of the spirit world, the invisible world, angels. He had fellowship with angels just like you and I do with each other. He had fellowship with the invisible world. and with, Are y'all with me? So angels came and went uh, out of the presence of Adam so that heaven and earth were connected there before the fall. There was freedom of man working and talking with angels before the fall. After the fall, we have something that has happened. Sin has entered into the world. Are y'all with me today? And, and death by sin. So now the Bible is showing us God is restoring to you what was lost in the original garden. So that when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says in verse 20 that Jesus is the first fruits of them 
that slept. So what he's letting you know, what was lost in the first fruits of God at the beginning by the fall is now restored in Jesus Christ so that he is the first fruits of them that slept. What is that saying? That the invisible world was in him. He's God. And the visible world was in him. He's humanity. So that both the invisible world, heaven, and the visible world, earth, came together in a man, Jesus Christ. Are y'all here with me now? So that he is restoring back to man what was lost in the garden. It's located in Jesus Christ. Paradise is located in Jesus Christ. And in case you don't know it, now a garden is on the inside of you and you're on the inside of the paradise of God and you have an awesome experience in both realms of heaven and in earth because you are the people of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. And so, whenever Mary sees these angels, it takes her back to a time when angels freely operated with mankind before the fall. When Mary sees that, what God is letting her know is, it is finished. You can come back into paradise now. God is restoring and reconnecting man back to what was lost in the garden of Eden. Give the Lord praise. And so, you are responsible tonight to take your woman and show her the finished work. So if you go over here, let's go to uh, Psalms 34 and verse 2. Just bear with me at the beginning. I'm just going to give you a few little nuggets here. But it's really not my message tonight. But I'm going to give you just a few little nuggets to chew on. All right. Psalm 34 and verse 2. David said this. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. So that he being a man called his soul a woman. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Say her boast in the Lord. If he's a man, it would sound, it would seem like he would say, my soul will make his boast in the Lord. No, it says, my soul will make her boast in the Lord. He said that for a reason. Because every one of you tonight, even if you're a man, you have a woman on the inside of you. I'm not saying you're a woman. I'm saying you have a woman on the inside of you, and that is your soul. And you have to take your woman, your soul, and you have to show her the finished work. You have to show her that Ark of the Covenant. Mary, or your woman, the Holy of Holies is in Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of the Holy of Holies. You can enter into the rest of God through Jesus Christ. You can come back in the garden through Jesus Christ. You can have a garden on the inside of you. And you can live in a garden at the same time because of what Jesus has done. God has reconnected you back to heaven and earth. He has power and authority over both realms. Give the Lord praise in the house tonight. 
And in the last part of John chapter 20, the Bible says Jesus will breathe on His disciples and say to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Which also takes you back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Bible says when He, when he made man, He fashioned him out of the dirt of the ground. And He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. But after man fell, he died. He didn't die physically, but he died spiritually. He was separated from God. So now Jesus comes back into the world. And the Bible says at the end of the chapter, he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. He's telling them what was lost in the garden, that relationship with God. He said, I'm breathing it back into you now. So He's putting you back in the paradise of God. He's opened the gate back up so that you can walk back into the paradise of God. You need to take your soul and show her the finished work of Calvary, what Jesus Christ has done for you. You need to let her know that both realms are located in Him, that He is God and man at the same time. And there's been a reconnection that has taken place in His first fruits, And His first fruits is Jesus Christ. And you are a part of that. Give God praise. You are now located in the paradise of God Almighty spiritually because of what He did. Give the Lord praise in the house. So when Mary looks in and she sees those two angels, these angels of light, it is telling her you are seeing the throne of God right here. You are seeing the Holy of Holies. It's connected to the finished work of Jesus. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. When you see that throne and you see the Holy of Holies, it's letting you know it is finished. Tell your soul. Talk to yourself. Tell your soul tonight, it is finished. And if it's finished, then you can enter into His rest. How many of y'all believe tonight it is finished? Jesus said it's finished. It is the finished work. He's made a way for you and I to enter back into the garden. He's made a way for you and I to enter back into paradise. Are y'all here today? One man turned a tree into a tree of death. Jesus came into the world and turned a tree of death into a tree of life. He's the only way to get back to what was originally uh, before the fall. Give the Lord praise in the house. And you've got to take your soul every day and remind her soul, Jesus did the work. Jesus died for you. Jesus shed His blood for you. You are now in the paradise of God spiritually. God has given you access into the Holy of Holies by way of His blood. And so the Bible says when she looks in, now I'm going to go on. She seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So she's still in this mindset that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. 
even though there's angels there inside of that sepulcher. And they're asking her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She tells, well, I don't know. Somebody took the body of Jesus and I don't know where they're taking him. Who's they? Who's they? She doesn't even know who they are. But she's still in this mindset that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. Are y'all with me now? She's still in unbelief. Delivering before this time a message of unbelief. Hallelujah. But at least now she's starting to investigate it farther. What's wrong with some of you? I tell you what's wrong with some of you. You're having trouble with your soul. You're having trouble with your woman. You need to get your woman and take her into the sepulcher and tell that woman, it is finished. Jesus is alive. Now you can be his bride. And so the Bible tells us uh, her reply. Look at this. Why are you crying? I say, why are you crying? Why are you weeping here? Now, this weeping here doesn't mean it's a crying like somebody would cry over the death of a family member. This weeping means she's crying because she thinks somebody has taken the body of Jesus away. That's why she's crying. Somebody took the body of Jesus away. They stole his body. That's why she's crying. All right? Y'all here now. Now, hallelujah to the Lamb. Watch this. Again, verse 13, they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So Jesus standing right there. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? He says the same thing the angels say, and the angels say the same thing that he says. Did you catch that? She still, she doesn't recognize him when he appears to her. You know why? Because her unbelief is blinding her to the reality that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because remember, in her mind, she's not thinking that he's alive. In her mind, she's not thinking that he's resurrected from the dead. So her unbelief is blinding her to the fact that that's Jesus standing right there. Her unbelief. Give the Lord praise. But he says the same thing the angels say. Well, I'm trying my best. I'm... The Bible says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than that which has been preached unto you. Let them be accursed. If an angel comes and preaches to you some other message than what the apostles preached, if they preach to you a different message from what Jesus preached, the Bible says, let them be accursed. You know why? Because they're not true angels. They're demons. Because if they're true angels, they're going to say the same thing that heaven says. You hear what I'm telling you? Any angel that preaches a different message from this apostolic message is not an angel of heaven. It's a demonic spirit. Any man that preaches something different from the apostolic message is not a man of God. Come on, somebody. Because if he was, he would be saying the same thing that God says. Because angels say the same thing that heaven says. And heaven says the same thing that angel says. And if you've got a different message, you don't have an angel on your hands. You've got a demon on your hands.
Somebody shout praise unto the Lord. Well, Pastor and Angel came and talked to me and, and told me I don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, really? That wasn't an angel of God because the Bible tells you to be baptized in Jesus' name. So if you look at it, the angel said, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Jesus said the th same thing. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? To let you know that the angels say the same thing as heaven, heaven says. That the angels will say the same thing that Jesus says. And Jesus, come on somebody. They're not going to bring you, you some other message. Give the Lord worship in the house. Bible says, look at this. She's supposing him to be the gardener. He was. Spiritually speaking, he was the gardener. The seed of the woman that was planted in the garden. That came out from the dead. That there might be a harvest of souls. The seed of the woman planted in the garden has come up. He's the seed that was planted in the garden. He's the garden. He's the gardener. He's the original gardener that made the garden of Eden. He is God Almighty. So He is the gardener. He's the one that's bringing you back into the garden. Back into paradise. Give the Lord praise. But He's also the seed that was planted in her garden. Taking you back to Genesis again. Now watch. All right, y'all here now? But she's still in this, she's still got this cloud over her eyes. She can't see. Now, albeit I understand that he's in a different form right now. He is in a resurrection body. He's in a different form. So I understand that to a certain extent. I'm not going to get into that right now. So I can understand why to a certain extent because of this new form he's in that she doesn't recognize him. But primarily it has to do with the fact that she doesn't believe that he's alive. She doesn't believe that he's resurrected from the dead. She thinks the person that's talking to him, to her, is just the gardener that's working there. Say amen. amen. And the Jews, Jewish people, unbelieving Jews, got a hold of that. And they said it was the gardener that took his body away. And they said this gardener that was here that took the body away was a cabbage farmer. See, they've done everything they could to try to discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, they can't do it. Amen? For one thing, if you're going to steal the body of Jesus, you're not going to take His clothes off, leave Him in the sepulcher, and tear, carry a, a naked man with you out of the sepulcher. If you're going to steal His body, you're going to take clothes and all with you. And I just, anyway. But she's supposing Him to be the gardener. Amen. Amen. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I'll take him away. If, if you're the one that stole his body, tell, him, tell me where you've taken him. And she said, I'll take him away. Can you imagine this? There's no way she could have done that. You understand? If this, this man, if this was a man, not Jesus, and he was responsible for taking the body. You're talking about Jesus weighing probably around 200 pounds plus another 100 pounds of spices on top of that. Now, uh, I know the grave clothes were back there. Amen. So 
anyway, if it's just 200 pounds less the spices, you're talking about a heavy man. And Mary says, if you could tell me what you've done with him, she said, I'll go and get him. Hallelujah. Come on. You think she could have done that? She couldn't have carried a grown man over, thrown, her, thrown him over his shoulder. And carried, no way. But that's her love. That's her love. And her love at this moment is at this moment is a bewildered love. But she said, I, she loves him so much that if you've taken his body, just tell me where he is and I'll go get him and I'll carry him. It's impossible for her to do that. But she loves him enough. I guarantee you one thing, if, if, they, if the gardener had taken his body, she'd have done everything she could to carry that body. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But she still needs to get her theology corrected because she still thinks somebody has stolen the body. She still thinks somebody's taken the body. And she thinks this person that's talking to her is the gardener and she thinks he's the one that took the body. Watch. Verse 15. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Maybe he said Miriam. Maybe he said Maria. I don't know, hallelujah. But let me tell you the word Mary or Maria, or Miriam means rebel. Shakalobohosha. <laughs> She needed some help. Mary, Jesus said unto her, Mary, the Bible says, My sheep know my voice. And as soon as he called her by her name, that sheep, because she belonged to him, knew his voice. She might not recognize him when she sees him, but when he speaks to her, she knows the shepherd's voice. Jesus has already said it in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger, they will not hear. And so when he called her by name, she heard the shepherd's voice. Are y'all with me right now? Give the Lord praise. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now she won't leave it there. She will get to a point where she calls him Lord. So now she, by his voice, recognizes it's Jesus. Amen. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. Okay? At that point, She's trying to grab on to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that she's just trying to reach over there and, you know, feel his body like that. She's, the word touch me not means she's trying to hold him there. Okay? Obviously, uh, you know, she wants him to stay here on planet Earth and walk with them like he's walked with them before. But he's already spent multiple chapters telling them that he's going to come in spirit form. So he can't stay here on the earth 
and pour out His Spirit on all flesh if He stays here on the earth bodily. Are you with me? He's already told him these things. But she's trying to retain Him, keep Him on planet earth. That's what she's trying. Not just touch Him, but hold Him here. Give the Lord praise. Now, as far as I can tell, she's the first one that Jesus appeared to. And she was a woman. Hallelujah. The first appearance of Jesus was to a woman. All the women say, praise the Lord. He's showing this woman how to get back in the Garden of Eden. Come on back in here, Eve. You were cast out of the Garden of Eden. I'm giving you access back into this garden. Praise the Lord. Say, praise the Lord. Now she's got her theology straightened out. Now she doesn't think the body somebody's come and taken the body. Now she knows he's alive. Now she knows he's resurrected from the dead. She's got it right now. And the next time you see her, are y'all with me? If you go in the other Gospels, especially Luke, you will see her come with other women. And the report she gives the disciples after she sees him is that he's alive. So the next message she's going to deliver is going to be a message of faith and that he's alive. She's going to have her theology correct. She's not going to be delivering a message of error. It's not just going to be sound and saliva. It's going to be supernatural. And it's going to be of faith to a point in those that she speaks. Say praise the Lord. You said unto her, touch me not. Say touch me not. Don't hold. Don't try to hold on. Don't try to keep me here on this earth. You know. Touch me not. Why not? Why not touch him? Why not hold him on the earth? For I have not yet ascended. Say, tell, look what the Bible says, right? I, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and send to them. I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now he is the father and he is God. But he's speaking as a man here. He's speaking as the sacrifice. Hallelujah. That has been made. And he says, I have not yet ascended. So don't try to hold me here. Don't touch me. Say amen. amen. Don't try to hold me here because I haven't ascended yet. Wow. Are y'all here? At this point, he's resurrected, but he hadn't gone to, up to heaven yet. What's he going to do when he gets up to heaven? Evidently, he's going to present that body to the eternal spirit of God as the sacrifice for sin. I don't think he carried, you know, I don't know, I don't know. It's speculation whether or not he carried the blood, the literal physical blood to heaven or not. I don't know. I can't tell you if he did or he didn't. I just know the blood is in the name of Jesus. Some say he, he hadn't ascended yet to take the blood to present it before the eternal spirit of God at the throne of God there in heaven. I don't know if that's the fact here. All I know is he said, I have not yet ascended, so don't touch me. So there's something he has to do when he ascends up. Either present his body as a sacrifice to the eternal spirit of God. There's something that's not yet done yet. Say amen. I don't know what it is. Do you? Okay, yeah, I thought I, I give you a, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I think if you knew, I think if you knew, I'm asking for help tonight. But she said, he said, I have not yet ascended, praise God. There's something going on here that he has to do in heaven before he can be touched. Say, praise God. Now watch this. I hope you're getting this. 
Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now, her message is complete. Her message is supernatural. The Lord has spoken to me. Come on, somebody. Isn't it beautiful? That the Lord has spoken these things unto her. Now, I don't have time to go back to the other Gospels, but to, to see the response of the disciples in these various times and occurrences, you know, uh, the first time she told them that you know somebody had come and taken the body of the Lord, she didn't know not, she didn't know where they had laid it, and they ran to the sepulchre, Peter and John, you know, and they were, but and Peter walked back and he was wondering the whole time with amazement, you know, what it meant. Are y'all here? They they still not walking in complete belief. Peter wasn't. John believed by what he saw, but Peter was just pondering. Peter was just astonished when he went back. Say Amen. Praise God. Now, when she goes to him, it's not with a message, somebody's taking our Lord, and we don't know where they laid him. Now, she says, this is what he told me. Hallelujah. This is what he spoke to me. She's delivering a supernatural message now. Her theology is complete now. It's investigated. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I love you. Beautiful, isn't it? Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that when she tried to touch him, you know, and the fact that he's standing right there, and she doesn't die instantly. What kind of body did he have that she wanted to try to hold on to? A, a literal body, a physical body, okay, not a spirit, a physical body, say a physical body. In a sense, it's a spiritual body ultimately though. Hallelujah, man. That, that's wild. Okay? It's a spiritual body that has been raised from the dead, but it's still a body. But it's not a glorified body. Because if it was a glorified body, when you see Him coming back, in the prophet Isaiah, the book of Revelation, when you see him coming back with a glorified body, he's going to melt mountains. If he was in a glorified body at this moment, he would have killed everybody that saw him and he would have melted mountains if it was glorified. What he had at this point was a resurrected body, not a glorified body. The Apostle Paul saw Jesus in his glorified body. He saw just a little part of Jesus in his glory and it blinded him. Did you hear what I said? Paul, after Jesus ascended and was in his glory, when he saw Jesus, just a part of his glory blinded Paul and he stayed partially blind for the rest of his life. Are y'all awake tonight? No mortal man can look at Jesus right now, come on somebody, in a glorified state and still be alive. So when Mary saw him, he was not in a glorified body, he was in a resurrection body. Let me just explain something to you tonight. There's more fire in heaven than there is in hell. Let me say it again. There's more fire in heaven than there is in hell. Because if Satan 
and a sinner were to go into heaven right now, both Satan and the sinner would be completely disintegrated. By the glory of God, there's more fire in heaven than there is in hell. Did you hear what I just said? That's why no sinner is going to be in heaven. Because for a sinner to stand in his glory, they would instantly be consumed by his brightness. And on the other hand, you get a glorified saint. If a glorified saint went into hell, they would not burn as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were cast into a burning fiery furnace and they could not be burned. So you can take a saint to hell and a saint can't burn in hell. But you take a sinner and the devil to heaven and they will be consumed by the fire of God. Say praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah let you know that a saint can't be burned. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, I thought their name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. You know I had to do that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, do you know what God has prepared for you? To be, when you get your glorified body, if, if, if Satan, if the devil can take you to hell with him, as soon as you walked into hell, you would not burn because you would be more on fire and brighter than the hell, the fire that's in hell. And that's why if you're a sinner, you can't stand in the presence of a holy, glorified God because you'd be completely consumed instantly so that the body that she saw was not a glorified body. It was a resurrection body. Give the Lord praise in the house. You're pulling it out of me right now. So I'll give you a little more, praise the Lord. You talk about fire. Fire. You saw fire on the resurrection of Jesus. Fire is heat and light by combustion. That's what makes fire. Light and heat by combustion. Are y'all with me now? Jesus is the light of the world. First John says, God is light. So Jesus is the light. God is light. Light is an illuminating principle. Light is truth. Are y'all here? God is love. Say God is love. Love is, come on somebody, heats passion. The love of God is what kept Jesus on the cross for you. The nails did not keep Him on the cross for you. His love kept Him on the cross for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him should not perish but have everlasting life. His love for you held Him on the cross. Love is His passion. Light is the truth. 
So when the light of the world and the love of God went into the sepulcher, there was an explosion. Fire took place and Jesus came walking out of the sepulcher. Give God praise in the house. Now, he's put his love in you and he's put his light in you so that you have truth and you have passion on the inside of you. And when you, when those two meet, there is an explosion of fire. So that's the body that she saw that she wanted to keep here. But Jesus couldn't let her do that because the spirit has to be poured out. Are y'all hearing me now? He's coming in a different way, a different form. Same Jesus, but by spirit. He cannot be held here in physical form. If he does, he can't dwell in you and I. So give the Lord praise in the house. Look at verse 19. Now he's going to appear to another character. Characters plural. His disciples. Judas Iscariot is out of the picture. Thomas, doubting Thomas, is not there. So there's only ten disciples and they have gathered in this little room. Are y'all here? They have heard the testimony of Mary that Jesus is alive but he hasn't yet appeared to them yet. Are y'all here now? Everybody get your Bibles and look at it with me. Verse 19. So then the same day at evening, being the first of the week, when so he's letting you know it's the, the same day, are y'all with me, that Jesus appeared to Mary. All right? Amen. Same day. All right? Praise God. The Bible said the same day at the evening, being the first of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace unto you. The Bible lets you know that the door was locked. The Bible lets you know the door was shut for a reason. Okay? Somebody said, well, Jesus walked through the walls and he walks through doors. He don't have to walk through walls. He doesn't have to walk through doors. He's God. He's here right now. You just can't see Him. If He chose to, He can manifest Himself right in your presence in a visible way. He's here now, I say, but He's just not visible. He can choose to make Himself visible or choose to make Himself invisible. But He's still here now in the midst of us. And he's also on the outside of the church. So the Bible says when he appeared to them, he didn't walk through a wall. He didn't have to. He chose to manifest his presence that was already there. He heard everything they had said. He heard everything they were talking about. Who knew everything they thought. He even knew about a man that wasn't in church that day. Thomas. He even knows what Thomas said. Come on. He's everywhere at the same time. He's God. Jesus is God. He's not limited to space or time. Are y'all awake? So he just appeared to them. Amen. Beautiful, isn't it? Hallelujah. 
And what did he tell them? Peace be unto you. Why? Because they're full of fear. They're all worried, you know. They're, they're afraid of the Jews. Something's going to happen. The Jews are going to, you know, persecute them, whatever. Now, at this time that the Gospel of John is written, uh, Jewish people are being excommunicated out of the synagogue for their faith in Jesus Christ. Are y'all awake? Are y'all here? So this is an example to those Jews that are being excommunicated for faith in Jesus who are afraid of the Jews because at the time that this book is written, it is a Jewish persecution against the church. So there's a reason why Jesus is showing you that his disciples, when he appeared to them that day, they were full of fear. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Because that's what the excommunicated Jews would feel like who had faith in Jesus. Now watch. The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Say amen. Verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Say they were glad. So we have his peace given to them. We have proof given to them. He shows them his hands and his side. Prince. No, Prince. Now, I want to just tell you this. I don't think if you've got scars in your body, that when you go to heaven, you're going to have scars in your body. But I think in the body of Jesus Christ throughout eternity, he will have scars in his body to testify of what he did for you. Okay? And so he shows up. He gives them his peace. They need it. They're troubled. He gives them proof of his resurrection. His hands, the nail prints in his hands and his open side. Say praise the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now I'm going to give you the peace because it's going to help you. He gives them peace, He gives them proof, and He gives them purpose. He gives them an assignment. Okay? Alright. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Right? So now they have purpose. Amen? They have an assignment to fulfill. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Taking you back to Genesis 2 and verse 7, where he breathed on the original man into his nostrils the breath of life. So now Jesus is saying, I'm bringing in a new creation. He breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, he will tell them, on a future time, go ye and tarry in Jerusalem until you be clothed upon with power from on high. Or till you be endued with power from on high. So when he breathes on him, breathes on them, and says, Receive you the Holy Ghost, it is a command to them that when the Holy Ghost is poured out, they are to receive it. So what he's given them is peace, proof, purpose, power. 
Okay? Say amen. But that's not all. Are y'all awake? I know. Not for me. But... Say praise the Lord. And not only that, but if he shows up, brother, and he's in the midst of him, what do you have? Give me a P. Presence. I knew he'd have it. Who said it? Who? Oh, you don't. Okay. We we knew she would have it. Yeah, okay. What are we going to do with a man? So we've got his presence. We've got his peace. We've got his proof. We've got his purpose. And we've got his power. Okay? Ten disciples are there. They praise the Lord. Now watch this. Listen. He says, he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Right? That's why he could not be detained here physically. Because he is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So he's commanding his disciples to be filled with the Holy Ghost or to receive the Holy Ghost. When he pours it out, they are to receive it. Right? Now he's going to talk about baptism. He's not going to call it baptism in John, the way John records it, but in Luke 24, 47, he said, and that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Say repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name beginning at Jerusalem. Okay? Watch this. So He's telling receive the Holy Ghost when it's poured out. And then He says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. These are the statements of a judge. In Hebrew mind, now I don't have time to get into all of this, but it, remember in Matthew, uh, where it says, uh, whatever you bind on earth, that it's down in heaven, what is that at? Matthew 16, right? 16. I'm just asking you to check. I think, check and see if it's 16. It's Matthew 16, right? 16, right? Okay. He told them, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. The context is the authority. Are you here? Oh, boy, this is just heavy now. The authority in the church to work with the believer and the unbeliever. The authority within the church to accept admittance of the believer and to reject the admittance of the unbeliever. Okay, you hear now, this gets heavy, man. This shows you the power that's in the church. Now, a lot of people don't accept it. They don't want it. But this is, okay. So anyway, that's Matthew. 
Matthew 16. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in here. Whatever you loose on earth is loose. God said, I'm standing behind your decisions. I'll bind them in heaven. What you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. I'll stand by that decision that you made. If you loose it on the earth, God said, I'll stand behind the loosing of it. You don't want to play with God and you don't want to play with the church. Okay? But anyway, now, I, but we're, oh, I shouldn't even have gone there. That's a different, that's a really different thing. But it's related in the sense that whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. What is he saying? Is he saying that the church is the one that forgives sins? No. Only Jesus Christ can forgive sin. Then what is he saying? When you go forth and preach and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. So when you stand up and preach the gospel and you tell people they can be forgiven of their sins in Jesus Christ. You are letting them know they can be loosed from their sin by the blood of Jesus. That they can be forgiven. And when you tell them to repent and then be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, they shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost so that, watch this, when a man baptizes somebody in Jesus' name, they are remitting that person's sin. Do you see the power of the gospel to tell people if they will repent and believe the gospel, they can be forgiven of their sins and that when we baptize them in Jesus' name, it's for the remission of their sins. But we can also tell them if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, if you do not believe in this gospel, then you are in the camp of the damned. You are in the camp of the lost. Who are, whosoever sins, you remit. They are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins, you retain. They are retained unto them. What he's saying, when you preach that gospel message, you're dividing the world into two camps. The believer and the unbeliever. He's not saying that God gives you the authority to choose who can be saved and who can't be saved. He's telling you that you have the power to preach the gospel to people. And if they'll believe the gospel and then get baptized, and as you baptize them, their sins are remitted. That's where the power is. But you also have the authority to say to a person, if you do not believe the gospel, if you do not repent of your sins, and have your sins remitted in the name of Jesus, then your sins remain upon you. Say praise the Lord. So if somebody says, well, if I, don't, if I don't believe the gospel and I don't repent of my sins and get baptized in Jesus' name, can I still go to heaven? You have the authority from God to say no. But you also have the authority to bring that gospel message, the good news of His death, burial, and resurrection, and tell them that if they will believe the gospel and repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, their sins can be remitted. 
Hallelujah. The blood will be applied to their life in the name of Jesus when they're water baptized. So he's, watch this. He's telling them how to enter into the covenant community of believers. He's telling them when you go forth and preach the gospel, you have the authority to admit people into the kingdom of God who believe the gospel and obey the gospel. You also have the authority to say those that have not obeyed that gospel are not in the church. Whoa, you don't like that. But that's what the Bible says. You have authority to judge sin in the church. You have authority to preach against sin in the church. Come on. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's what he's saying. You get it? The power to judge sin in the church. To refuse to allow it to continue in the church. Give the Lord praise. If God did not put that kind of authority in the church, the church would be full of devils. So the statement... What do you bind on heaven? What do you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What do you loose on earth is loose in heaven. That's a judicial statement. It's what a judge would say. Who's ever sinned you remit, they're remitted. Who's ever sinned you retain, they are retained. It is a statement of a judge. Innocent or guilty. Innocent or guilty. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Who's a part of the church of the living God? He that believes the gospel repents of his sin, baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, and has received the Holy Ghost. That's who's in the covenant community. That's who's in the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ. They may, some people may be in progression to becoming that. But until they experience the spirit and remission of sins, they are not a part of the covenant community of God. Hear it from the mouth of Jesus. Say amen. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. So now they, got, they know the message and they know how important it is. That they have to receive the Spirit and they're going to go forth and they're going to remit sin and they're going to retain sin. Remit sin and retain sin. By preaching that gospel. And people who don't believe it, those people's sins are retained. Those people who believe the gospel and repent and are born again, their sins are remitted. And on Judgment Day, God will make it binding. Say praise the Lord. Okay, so hallelujah. I, I just wanted to get, I just wanted to touch touch base on that, right? Say amen. Now, hold on, hold on to this. So he's given them his presence, his peace, his purpose. What else? His power, right? Did I get them all? Did I say presence, didn't I? Oh, proof, 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 proof. Okay, presence, proof, amen. Purpose. Presence, peace, proof, purpose, power. Hallelujah. Okay, you ready? And he tells them, okay, last part, receive the Holy Ghost. 
It's a command. Have you ever said you're a myth or admitted he's ever said you retain that retain the living? Judicial power. Unquote. Okay? Beautiful, isn't it? God will stand behind it. I said, God will stand behind it. Woo, glory to God. Now, we got one disciple, though, that's not in the mix. Okay? I'm almost, I'm almost done. Next two or three hours. His name is Thomas or Didymus. Both Thomas and Didymus mean the same thing, twins. Okay. I don't know where his other brother is. But anyway, uh, Thomas didn't go to church that night. And he missed the presence, the peace, the purpose, the power of God, and the proof. For a solid week. And the reason why he wasn't in church. Is because at this point. He's not a character of his resurrection. Mary's a character of his resurrection. These other ten disciples are the characters of his resurrection. But Thomas is not a character of his resurrection. Thomas is in unbelief. At this moment. That's why Thomas isn't in church when Jesus appears to them. Because he is faithless. And he's already been talking. And he's been telling the other disciples. You know? Except I put my hands, my fingers in his, the scars of his hand, thrust my, you know, Thus my whatever. I'm going to get it right. Look at it. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print. So he said, I'm going to see. Say see. In his hand the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails. And thrust my hand into his sign. Side, I will not believe. Watch this. The reason why Thomas is not in church is because Thomas is an unbeliever at this point. Thomas is faithless. Thomas does not believe. Are y'all with me? And he's willful in his unbelief. The other disciples go to him and say, you know, Jesus is risen from the dead. He appeared to us. I will not believe. It's willful unbelief against the testimony of those that he should be listening to. I tell you, it's not more facts that we need. It is not an intellectual problem that people have. It is a problem of the heart. You've got ten disciples that are telling him Jesus is alive, but he refuses to believe the report of those that he should be listening to. And it's willful unbelief. So the first thing I want to show you, Jesus will appear to him a week later. Say a week later. But he will appear to him 
in the church. You catching this? Who are we talking about? Hyman, Thomas. Thomas is not there in that church service. Right? Why? Because of unbelief. So when Jesus appears in the church, Thomas misses the presence or seeing the presence of Jesus. Where are you going to find Jesus? In his church. Because he wasn't in church, and the reason he wasn't in church was because of unbelief, he missed the presence of Jesus. And be, watch this. So now, he has missed the resurrection for a whole week. That means the other disciples who were in church that day when Jesus appeared in his resurrection body knew he was alive. And they had the peace that he was alive. But because Thomas wasn't in church, he had to live a whole nother week without peace. For a whole week he was troubled. For a whole week he had problems because he didn't go to church that night. He missed the presence of the Lord. He missed the peace of God. Which means he's troubled for another week. He's got problems for another week. And he's missed the proof. Now watch. He said, except I see the nail prints and put my finger in the nail prints and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. If he had been there at church, he would have experienced peace instead of trouble, the presence of Jesus, resurrection, and also he would have experienced the proof that he was looking for if he had just taken the time to have been in church. The very thing that he wanted and needed and was looking for was there for him in church if he had gone to church. But because he didn't go to church that night, he missed the proof. And he lives another week without proof and without peace. Come on, somebody. Jesus will tell him again. Come on. Peace. He said, again, another time. He tells them two times peace to them. Thomas has missed his presence. He's missed his peace. He's missed his proof. And in that peace, the joy, the joy of knowing that Jesus is alive. The joy. So he went a whole week miserable. He went a whole week still doubting. He went a whole week with no joy on the inside of him because he missed church for a week. And he missed the power of God for a whole week. Jesus said, breathe on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. He missed that. He missed the purpose of God when God says to him, Jesus says, what the Father sent me to do, 
I'm sending you. He didn't know what the purpose. If you don't have purpose for existence, you're a miserable person. A backslider has no joy. A backslider has no peace. A backslider doesn't know the assignments of God. The backslider's not involved with the work of God. He's missed the presence, the peace, the proof, the purpose, the assignment of God. He's missed the power of God because he did not go to church. I tell you tonight, if you don't go to church, you're going to miss joy. The world can't give it to you. You're going to give peace. You'll be troubled and full of problems. You're going to miss what the church is doing and the work of God, the assignment of the purpose of God. You're going to miss the power of God. You're going to miss the presence of Jesus when you miss church. And all because he did not believe. So for a whole week, he missed all of that. And the disciples were walking in the presence, the peace, the purpose, the power. What else? The proof. For a whole week. Now, Jesus, during that week, I want you to listen to me, please. During that week, okay. The disciples have gone to Thomas and told him Jesus is alive. He said, I will not believe except I see and touch. Sensual, sensual. I have to see it, I have to feel it before I believe it. Right? It's all based on senses. It's not based on testimony. The disciples are giving him the word. The disciples are giving him testimony. But he said, I'm not going to believe until I see and touch for myself. Based on senses. That's where a lot of people are. Okay? I'm not going to move until I feel something. Until I see it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I'm not going to feel it until I... I'm not going to believe it until I feel it. That's Thomas. He should have said to the disciples, I believe your report. That's good enough. You see? The word is what I believe. But he didn't. So Thomas is in willful unbelief. I will not, will, 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 will not believe except. So it is a willful unbelief. Again, it's not intellectual. He's already got the testimony. The facts have already been given to him. But he still chooses against the word of God to stay in unbelief. He's telling his disciples the reason why he will not believe. Now watch. After eight days, this is a week later, again his disciples were with him and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now Thomas has made it back to church. For a whole week. Look what he missed. For a whole week. But I want you to see something, Bishop. Jesus did not go to Thomas outside of the church. 
Jesus knew what Thomas said. I will not believe except I see and see the nail prints, touch the nail prints of my finger, and thrust my hand in his side. Jesus heard him say that. Okay? But Jesus did not appear to him outside of the church. Thomas had to go back to church. And that's where Jesus showed up again. In the society of the believers. And because Thomas was there among the society of the believers where Jesus shows up. Are y'all here? He speaks into experience. The proof. I tell you this, that if you ever leave the church, don't expect anybody to come knock on your door and beg you to come back. This is the way Jesus deals with people. If you don't take advantage of the opportunity to experience His presence, His peace, His proof, His purpose, and His power by coming to church, if you refuse that opportunity, He's not going to bring you a different opportunity. You're going to have to get into alignment with His church. And when you get back where you're supposed to be, then He can help you believe. But He's not going to come on your whim. He's not going to come the way you want Him to, where you want Him to. If you want to see Him, you better be where He shows up, and that's in the church. If you want His presence, it's here. If you want His power, it's here. If you want His peace, it's here. If you want to know what His assignment is, it's here. If you want His power, it's in the church. So he appears in the covenant community of believers. And Thomas is there. And because Thomas is there, Thomas is going to get help. You hear what I'm telling you? You're the Lord praise in the house. Well, you know, I quit the church. and If God sends me an angel, I'll go back. Well, God sends the preacher, the pastor, talk to me. I'll go back. No, God says you get back. And when you get back where you belong, that's where you're going to find my presence, my peace, my purpose, my proof, and my power. I tell you this. If Thomas had not gone to church a week later, he would have lived the rest of his life full of doubt and misery for the rest of his life full of doubt and misery he's got to get back to church to get the doubt out and to get the misery out if he doesn't make it back when Jesus appears in the church a week later Thomas is going to get lost Are you awake now? So there's a lot of people. They might make a decision when I'm not going to believe. I'm just willful unbelief. Faithless. And they quit the church. And they have all these stipulations as to when they're going to come back and how they're going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And the longer you wait, the more miserable you are. 
and less power you have and more disconnected you become until you can stay out so long that you'll never make it back. You better get back as soon as you possibly can. Jesus, I love you. Jesus. You can't twist God's arm. You can't buy Him with money. You can't twist His arm and make Him do something. You can't hold Him ransom if He'll do this, then I'll do that. Are you kidding me? He's Lord and God. Some of you need to praise God. You made it back to the church tonight. There could have been something that would have kept you out. But this is what you miss when you don't go to church. Now I want you to see this. But after eight days, again, his disciples were within. Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. Not outside of the church. With a special appearance to Thomas. Oh, no, 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 no. He appeared in the church. And Thomas was there when he appeared. So the Bible says, Oh, I love you, Jesus. Then say Peter Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it in my side. And be not faithless but believing. You see that? Thank you, brother. This is not Jesus succumbing to the whims and wishes of a person. This is Jesus, are you hearing me, coming to a person who made it back to church. And, come on, and this is Jesus coming to that person to help them believe and this is Jesus, mark it down, showing extreme compassion. But this is Jesus when He comes to that saint who has made it back to church that commands Him to do certain things. Are y'all here? All right. You just knew what you wanted, so all right, you're in church, so now I can help you believe. He said, I don't have a problem with that. He's not gonna, he don't have a problem with helping you believe. As long as you make it back to your place. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be, uh oh, be not faithless. So Jesus confronts his sin. Jesus does not allow him to continue in a state of unbelief. Jesus says, be not faithless. Get rid of your unbelief, Thomas. Some people think, 
Even when they come back to church, they don't have anything to do. Oh, yeah? Jesus is going to confront the sin in my life or your life. And listen to me tonight. If you're here and you're like Thomas and you're a doubter and you're faithless and you're full of unbelief, he's commanding you tonight, be not faithless. He's telling every one of you tonight, including, including this pastor, to get rid of your doubt and get rid of it now. He's coming. He's rebuking. He's correcting. He's confronting the unbelief in that man. Be not faithless, but believe. He commands him to believe. So he rebukes his unbelief and commands him to believe. So I tell you, it's not an intellectual problem that any of you have. You know about more about this Bible than these disciples knew about this Bible. If you, come on somebody, if you're in unbelief, it's because you've got a heart problem. And the Lord's telling you tonight, there's help for you in the house of God. Thank God you made it to the house of God. But you better get rid of your doubt. And you better start believing the gospel. If you don't, you will continue in doubt and misery for the rest of your life. And you will perish. Watch. The Bible doesn't say that Thomas put his finger in the nail prints of his hands. It doesn't say that he thrust his fist in his side. He just broke out in a public place called the church with a public confession of faith, which is the highest confession of faith ever heard off the lips of man or woman. My Lord and my God. <clears throat> Give the Lord praise in the house. <clears throat> my Lord and my God. My Yahweh Elohim. <clears throat> so that no wonder in John 8 and verse 28, Jesus said this. He said, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He's letting them know when I'm lifted up and I'm crucified, when I'm lifted up from the grave, from the dead. He said, then you're going to know that I am. And so when he sees, when Thomas sees the resurrected Lord, he said, Yahweh Elohim, my Lord and my God. Because Jesus has been lifted up. Now they know He is God. He is I am. So watch. He's been telling the church outside of the church, I will not believe except this, this, and this. He makes it back to church. And when Jesus appears, he said the same thing, peace. And he gave him the proof and the presence. 
And so this doubting Thomas all week long who's been telling the disciples, I will not believe, has to get rid of his pride. And he has to say, what I've been saying was wrong. My Lord and my God. Thomas is saying, I'm no longer going to be my Lord, but Jesus is going to be my Lord. When he said, my Lord and my God, he's confessing the resurrection of Jesus is true. He's confessing that Jesus is Lord and he's not. He's confessing that Jesus is deity, God. Come on, somebody. And to deny the deity of Jesus Christ is to deny the faith. But he had to get rid of his pride and stand up in the midst of the church and make a public confession of what he believed. Let me just tell you, I get around some of you and I hear some of you talk. It gives me funny feelings. We need to know what you really do believe. This man made a public confession about what he believed. My Lord and my God. Yahweh Elohim. I'm looking at you now. I know that I know that you are God. And you're my God. Uh, some of you, I don't even know really what you do believe. I don't think some of you even know what you believe. But you need to get to a place in your life where you don't have doubts. And you don't, come on, and you don't have doubt. You've got rid of the doubt. You've got rid of the pride. And you're walking in faith. And you're coming out and you're letting everybody know what you believe, where you stand. That He is Yahweh Elohim. He's a resurrected one. And He's the Lord. I'm submitted to Him. He's not submitted to me. He doesn't do what I tell Him to do. He, I do what He tells me to do. And so watch this. When he said, my Lord and my God, it's a public profession of faith in the midst of the church. It's a removal of pride and it is worship that can be seen. Don't tell me you believe he's alive and that he's your Lord and he's your God and you don't worship. This man said, my Lord and my God. It was worship from the lips of Thomas. And there was no doubt as to where he stood. And no doubt as to what he believed. And he stayed with the disciples forever from then on. So that he preached all the way into India. And history says, while preaching in India, the pagan priest of that nation drove a spear through him and killed him. This man, who was a doubter, made the greatest confession of faith that has ever fallen off the lips of a man. And became so faithful to Jesus Christ and died a martyr's death. You know what I believe. 
You hear me week after week after week. Service after service after service. You know what I believe. It is a public profession and confession of my faith. But what do you believe? Let us hear it. Let us see it by worship. Let us know by the fact that your sins have been remitted. And that you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. That's the way we know if you're a part of the covenant community of Jesus Christ. Now watch. Listen carefully. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So when you get the Holy Ghost, you say what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you are saying what Thomas said, my, He's my Lord and my God. Because Jesus means Yahweh has become my salvation. And when you do that, when you're baptized in the Spirit and in the name of Jesus for the mission of sins, you're saying, my Lord and my God. And He then says to you, a people that were not my people have become the people of God. He calls you a part of the covenant community of God. And a person that, a person that wasn't His people becomes His people. Hosea chapter 2 lets you know, He says, that person's my child. You say he's my God. He says you're his people when you're baptized in Jesus' name and you get the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Are you thankful enough to be in the covenant community? Is he your Lord and your God? Yahweh Elohim. No man can say that except by the Spirit. You can say it with your mouth, but you don't. It's not a reality. Okay? Uh, baptizing His name, you're saying He's my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. That's why they took the Christians after they were baptized and took them out and killed them, because they were saying Jesus was Lord and God when they were baptizing His name. Are you here? They said, "You know, you say Caesar's Lord. No, Jesus is my Lord and my God." the power of what he's preaching and watch thank God Thomas was there thank God when Jesus rebuked him in his unbelief he didn't get offended thank God that when God called him to believe he believed and he made a public confession of faith my Lord and my God well we know he was baptized in Jesus name and got the Holy Ghost just like the rest of them in the book of Acts and he went forth preaching the gospel, filled with more. Thank God. Amen. Say amen. Watch this. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 
He just pronounced a blessing upon every one of you tonight. Because you have believed without senses. You have believed by the Word of God that was preached to you. You believed in Him by that Word without even seeing Him. Having, and who, whom having not seen, we love. Aren't you glad tonight that a blessing has been pronounced to you by Jesus Christ that you didn't even have to see? I thank God for the house of God, for the church, because that's where He shows up. And that's where He gives you peace. And that's where His presence is. That's where His assignments will be found. That's where His power is located. I feel sorry for some of you. I really do. I hate to say it, but I really do. Because all that Jesus has spoken to you by way of the Word. Do you have a public confession of faith? I said public. Have you laid aside your pride and said, Yahweh Elohim, my Lord and my God. Are y'all here with me tonight? If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've taken a step to say, He's Yahweh. I am that I am. If you don't have the Holy Ghost tonight, it's commanded you, receive you the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues. There will be no doubt among the church. That you're a part of the covenant community of Jesus Christ. Say praise the Lord. I'm closing in Hosea chapter 2 and I'm going to let you go. The characters of his resurrection. Now, Thomas is a willing participant. Jesus didn't come just because of his whim and want. Jesus came because he was in the right place and he was willing to do what Jesus said and believe. Hosea 2, are you thankful tonight you're in the church? Okay, Hosea 2. Let's look at one and nine first. Now when she had weaned Lohuhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God called his name Loamah, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Amen. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Say, un, say ye unto your brethren, am I, and to your sisters, Luhamah. Say, am I. What does that mean? My people. Say, Ruhamah. What does that mean? It means having obtained mercy. So that now, when you say, He's my Lord and my God, and you're born again and enter that covenant, He now calls you, Am I my people? And He calls you, Ruchamah, having obtained mercy. Aren't you thankful tonight for that great truth? I love Him. I give Him praise. Amen. Would you stand? Tonight, when you go home, you're going to go home full of power and peace and presence of God and purpose. And until we see you again on Sunday. I promise you, if you had missed tonight, 
you would have trouble, problems, lacking power, missing His presence. Thank God I can come back to the house of God. But when I come back, He still tells me the same thing. Get rid of your doubts, son. Be not faithless, but believe. I say, my Lord, I submit to you and my God, your deity. How many believe that Jesus is God? Jesus is God. To deny that is to deny the faith altogether. Praise the Lord. I love you so much. Thank God for His Word tonight. <clears throat> I know, I only, I know, I was all over the place tonight, but I believe I finally got to where God wanted me to get. I feel good all over. Brother Dye said, "I feel good all over, better than I do anywhere else." And and I I, I feel the same way. I say Amen to that. Hallelujah. I feel good all over, better than I do anywhere else. I feel good, good, good tonight because I.